0: Employment discrimination is illegal and takes many forms: religion, race, workers' compensation claims, gender, age, disability. If you believe your employer has illegally fired or retaliated against you, contact us. Protecting your employment rights: why we do what we do, the law offices of Stephen New.
1: Available now from ECW Home Video, it's Hardcore Heaven 97. Witness Taz's revenge on Chris Candido, Bam Bam Bigelow, Pulverizing Spike Dudley, Mr. Monday Night Rob Van Dam heats up the Insane Clown Posse and Al Snow! The Dudley Boys defend the World Tag Team title against PG-13, plus special appearances by Jake the Snake Robber!
2: Jenna Jameson, Sonny, where well, it may be an interesting couple. A
1: catfight between Beulah and Sonny. Tommy Dreamer destroyed Jerry the King Waller. A three-way dance featuring Terry Funk, Sabu, and the franchise. As Shane Douglas emerges as the
2: heavyweight champion of the world. Available now from ECW Home Video.
3: It's hardcore heaven.
0: Welcome to Franchise
2: with Shane Douglas. Franchisees, welcome back to Franchise with Shane Douglas, your favorite podcast and mine. And I am here with the franchise right now. Shane Douglas, there's only one week left to qualify for the Flyin' with the Franchise contest. It's going to be a good one. How are you today, sir? I'm
3: doing great, man. Look look, for the people out there that haven't signed up yet and done the tasks necessary to make themselves qualified. And I don't know what you're waiting for. This is a pretty much an all expense paid uh, vacation to sunny Florida in the middle of winter, even though it's about 65 degrees here in Pittsburgh right now. And and get to hang out with the franchise at an AEW uh, TV. Used to say taping. I I say it'll be live. Yes, it'll uh, be live how many people get to sit with a former world champion and analyze a show in real time? You know, so I think it's going to be a pretty cool night. I'm looking forward to it. So for all those that haven't yet qualified, get your asses moving and get qualified because January 3rd, right, we picked the winner.
2: That is right. Yeah, we picked the winner And the winner will pick who goes with him And it's going to be really, really exciting next week When we make that big announcement But this week, we've got some new tasks for you And I will tell you this There are a lot more people listening to this show Than people who are qualified Right now, we have right under 1,600 people qualified for this uh, contest And wow. there are a lot more people listening than that So we need to get everybody qualified And you're qualifying tasks for this week will be at the end of the show now just to remind you all the qualifying tasks that we have laid out in episode 14 15 16 and now this one 17 they're all still good to go you can still do any of those tasks to qualify it's not like the week's over and you can't do those old ones you can still go back and do those old ones so do as many qualifying opportunities as you possibly can you can get in the drawing up to 10 times So we will be making that announcement next week. And I have to talk about last week's episode because, man, we had record downloads on that episode in one day. We've never had that many in one day as we did for the Dynamic Dudes. And I think that's pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, everybody talks about the Dynamic Dudes. But I think, you know, if nothing else, it it left a mark that people remember, maybe a bad mark, you know, you know, right about here, that that kind of mark. You know, like I've always told people that it was the first time I've made real money in the business, and I think it allowed me the 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 outlet to show what Shane, a young Shane Douglas, could do in the ring, and you know, the franchise would emanate from that auspicious beginning. So, you know, I'm glad to hear the fans tuned in and, and downloaded.
2: Well, we had a couple of fans, uh, well, actually uh, quite a few fans that hit us up with answers to some of your questions. And some things that they wanted us to cover that we maybe didn't cover. I had uh, more than one uh, franchisee hit it up and said that you guys debuted as the next generation on May there 6th, go, okay. the night before the pay per view.
3: Wow, good to know. Like I said, all these years, I've never been able to find validation. I knew it was next or new generation. but So whoever sent that answer and thank you, it, it's been. Driving me crazy all these years.
2: It was actually quite a few people who, who knew that. And then they also let us know the pay-per-view and the debut of the Dynamic Dudes was May 7th at Wrestle War against the Samoan SWAT team.
3: Correct. Yeah. Uh, so those were back-to-back. We were right on that.
2: And the twins that you were talking about, everyone seems to think you were talking about the Mulkeys.
3: The Mulkeys. There you go. Yes. There. You, yeah, sure was. I, for some reason, I had a beginning with a C in my head and chair shots, right? Uh, for me, like watching those guys, what always amazed me about all the enhancement talents back then, are George South and the Malky Twins and, you know, there was uh, Mike Jackson and all, you know, there were so many guys that didn't necessarily want to go on the road, but you go back and you watch those old NWA tapes from 10th and Tech with the TV studio, the Saturday night Superstation show, the enhancement talent, was all phenomenal. If you go back and watch it, they're always facing the camera, never putting their back in the camera. Watch how often that happens in today's shows. Their punches and kicks look phenomenal. They're, they're, they were always in the right place. And, and that, you know, we, we often talk about the stars in wrestling, but the enhancement talent were the guys that, that made it all work, you know, that, that went out there. They didn't just go out there and get beat up. Well, maybe some of them did, but, you know, guys like George South were damn proficient hands in the ring and the Malkies that would go in there and do their job, literally and figuratively, to get the match over, to get their opponent over, and made a nice paycheck off of it. And so, you know, they're the unsung heroes, I think, to, to to the rise of wrestling's greatness that we saw
2: come later in the 80s and 90s. So something that we didn't cover that a lot of people wanted to know about was the match with uh, with you and Jim Cornette. Yeah, yes. We never spoke about that. I, I'm not sure how I, I missed that in, in my prep work, but we did not talk about you versus Jim Cornette. And Jim Cornette said that uh, you were you were not too happy about that angle. You actually had called uh, Jim Hurd and, and tried to get that, that whole thing squashed out.
3: I remember calling Jim Herb. I remember voicing, you know, because if you go back and watch the match, you know, Jim was doing all the, you know, the, the, no pun intended, the corny stuff, you know, the powder and, you know, all the other stuff. And it was making me, I, I thought, look like a bit of a buffoon. You know, you're in the ring with Jim Cornette, a manager uh, who played the posh, sissy, rich kid, you know, and you're you're not able to go in the ring and, and do what you do on TV every week with the enhancement talent. Uh, and, and I think I'm right in this sense. When I came walking back from the ring, went out and did it as it was planned, came back from the ring, and Gene Anderson, a guy who I had immense respect for, Gene was a no-nonsense, no-bullshit type of guy. He was the guy that would walk out to the ring, right, For the, for those fans who may not remember Gene, he would walk out to the ring, and he would either twiddle his pencil in his hand or his tie. And that was the sign to go home before the days of the IFB being used, the earpiece. So I came walking back and Gene was back in there. Gene was a very, you know an older guy, very uh, droll, straightforward. I came walking back and I looked at him and he goes, that was the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and I pretty much figured that that season veteran hit the nail right on the head.
2: So one more question, and this one is not just about last week's episode. Of course, you mentioned it in last week's episode when you were talking about Sid, but you've mentioned it in many episodes before, and I've always just assumed that everybody knew what this meant because I knew what what it meant, but then I think about, you know, hey, maybe not everyone is as privileged with wrestling lingo as maybe I've been, I've got the question from quite a few people of what is the office? Now, I know what the office is, but uh, but oh. some of the franchisees do not know what the office is. So when you say that you're giving someone the office to let them know to lighten up, what uh, what is the office?
3: You know, today, everybody just talks in the ring, right? On the NWA, uh, on YouTube, how many times you hear guys calling spots? We would communicate typically, uh, very occasionally and seldom by by voice. Uh, usually it was done like, Bobby Eaton was phenomenal at it. And the, just the way he would move his body, you knew what was coming. He was talking to you with the way he moved his body. But there was another way for us to communicate when we were in close, you know, the hand-to-hand wrestling. Uh, the office would be a double squeeze that tells the person to reverse or counter what you're doing. So if, I, if somebody's got me a hammerlock and they give me the office, I reverse it. So that's what the office is. There were a lot of, you know, non-verbal ways that we would communicate in the ring, That I think has been lost to some extent. In the last several years, I've probably had 20 occasions where the person I was working with did not know what the office was. And when I came back and asked them afterwards, they were like, oh, is that what that meant? That that is like as 101 as it gets in wrestling. And, you know, that's been lost. And, you know, we see all, you know, I think that leads to the reason because the kids today, in my estimation, don't know how to communicate in those nonverbal ways. You see a lot of talking in the ring or you see a lot of the, you know, you'll see somebody back somebody to the ropes to give an Irish whip, right? And they stop and they bend their head down near the person's ear and they, you know, there's like a pregnant pause there that's just really glaring or you see a lot of punch kicks. Because we got to fill this time up till we can get to that next spot that we had planned. The, the, the loss of that, of the office and other nonverbal communication in the ring, I think has been a real detriment to our sport.
2: Well, that totally uh, ties up last week's episode. We got all the uh, other questions that were sent in and and things like that. So now it's time to get to this week's episode. And I'm really excited about this week's episode because Hardcore Heaven 97 is my favorite ECW pay-per-view of all time. I had just really recently had gotten into ECW at that point because you got to remember I was in West Virginia. In West Virginia, the ECW wasn't on TV and it was all about tape trading. And I remember getting tapes and and watching different stuff and being like, oh, this is cool. And then I remember one day there was a Hardcore Heaven 97 tape. I traded WrestleMania Five for this tape because I wanted it so bad because I, I didn't even get to see Barely Legal. Which was the first ECW pay per view. So this is the second ECW pay per view, and I want to see it. So I, I traded WrestleMania five for it. I got I got my tape. I went home, watched Hardcore Heaven ninety seven, and I, from that point on, I was like, wow, ECW is what I want to watch all the time, and that, that just <laughs> it just really concreted my fanship with ECW. So that's what we are talking about today, Hardcore Heaven ninety seven. Are you ready?
3: I am, but I got a, I got a question for you. Did you think the WrestleMania Five trade was a was a good trade, a bad trade, or a great trade?
2: It was a great trade for me. Now, of course, WrestleMania Five is is one of I mean, it's it's one of my favorite WrestleManias. I, I absolutely loved it, but I'd watched it so many times that for me that trade wasn't that big of a deal. Ended up getting it again later in a box set, so it wasn't really. Wasn't really a big deal to me, but Hardcore Heaven 97 was such a big deal to me. And that's uh, – so I'd say it was a great trade. Well, you know, that that whole
3: – I think today
2: when you hear the ECW still, still, uh,
3: so everybody understands, I, I think I speak for all my brothers and sisters in ECW. When we hear that today, twenty twenty-five years later, that makes us all proud of those peacocks because we worked our asses off, as everybody could see. And to see that it's had that kind of lasting power. And I think a lot of that lasting power was born out of fans like you, you know, hustling to, to have to find those. But it's it's like that sort of hidden gem, you know, like, We're just coming out of a holiday, right? you know, you go to the store and you're looking for that specific color, that specific size for your sons or daughters, and you you travel around all over the place to try to find it, and you finally find it, you know, and you really feel like you've scored a good one because you finally found that hidden gem you're looking for. And what that did is I think it bred real loyalty in the ECW fans, a a sort of uh, a fervor in the fans because they had to work to find it. They couldn't just flip on the TV in most places like West Virginia at that time and watch it. You had to go out and work to see it. And I think that really built a strong loyalty in that audience as a result of that.
2: Well, I remember I found this guy on uh, on ICQ, if you remember what that was, way back in the day. It was the, the first, I guess, kind of social media. It was uh, a messaging app. I found the guy, ended up having to drive to Pittsburgh to get this tape. So we really wow. did have to hustle to make things happen back then.
3: Well, well you, you got the Daily Double then, man. You got to come to the center of God's universe, Pittsburgh by God, Pennsylvania, and get a hardcore heaven uh, 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 tape out of it. So, man, talk about Daily Double.
2: Yeah, <laughs> got them both at the same time. Uh, <laughs> that that was uh, the first time I tried the uh, Prementi Brothers.
3: Oh, brothers. brother. Yeah. Hey, you know, they're, they're building one here in, in Podunk, Beaver County. And I say Podunk with all the love of my heart. This is my home. Is the Primanti brothers going in here, you know, for my entire upbringing and, and early adult life, per, the only Primanti brothers was downtown Pittsburgh at the Strip District. The That's original. the one that I went to and,
2: was the one in the Strip District.
3: So I'm going to ask you, who who was painted biggest on the wall? What sports hero was painted biggest on the wall?
2: Oh, man, I don't know. I'm not sure.
3: Well, wow, you're not a real wrestling fan, then. Bruno Martino.
2: Bruno's—I knew Bruno was on the wall. I didn't know he was the biggest on the wall. He's the biggest on the wall. I believe
3: he's biggest. It's funny because I was just there probably six months ago, eight months ago. I've been to other satellite locations since. I love Permaties. Went in there, and every time, for, you know, after I became, you know, known on television, every time I'd go in there, I would go, "Hey, franchise, welcome to Primanti's. How's how's the living legend doing?" first question out of their mouth you know that, that Bruno had such a connection to Pittsburgh when he passed away last year and we were at his funeral a local uh, one of the local uh, tv personalities larry richard gave up and delivered a eulogy i, I think his doctor gave a eulogy uh, and, and larry richard gave a eulogy and for larry Richards, was probably i think the greatest eulogy i've ever heard because if you grew up in Pittsburgh, you understood every little nuance he mentioned, every little, you know, like chiller theater. It was a, you know, Bill Cardill was the, was the local wrestling announcer for studio wrestling. But later that night on Saturday, was Saturday at seven, uh, later that night on the same channel, WIIC channel 11, Larry Richard mentioned all this. He hosted a local, like uh, what do you call it? Like a horror movie thing. It was called chiller theater. Yeah. And he, and Larry Richard mentioned all that, but it was all revolving around Bruno San Martino. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal eulogy. If, if Larry Richard's listening, if he hasn't put that out, you know, a transcription of that, I, 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 I hope he would. Because for all of us that grew up in Pittsburgh, it's not just all about Bruno, but it all revolves around Bruno. And everything that we grew up with as kids in Pittsburgh is in that eulogy. It's a phenomenal eulogy.
2: All right, so let's get into the goods. We're going to talk about Hardcore Heaven 97 today, and we are ready to get started. The date is August 17th, 1997. The location was the War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, just about two hours away from where I'm sitting right now. Joey Styles provided commentary for the event. Hardcore Heaven 97 was the first edition of Hardcore Heaven to be broadcasted on pay-per-view. It was the fourth edition of Hardcore Heaven. And it's ECW's second ever pay-per-view event following Barely Legal, which happened in April of the same year. Six professional wrestling matches were contested at the event. The main event was a three-way dance for the ECW Heavyweight Championship in which you would take on Terry Funk and the ECW World Champion Sabu. We will get to that later, but first we got to talk about how stacked this card was. We're going to go over each of these matches today on Franchise with Shane Douglas, but a quick run through of what to expect. Chris Candido versus Taz for the ECW TV Championship. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Spike Dudley. Rob Van Dam versus Al Snow. The Dudley Boys versus PG-13 for the ECW Tag Team Championship. Tommy Dreamer versus Jerry Lawler. And Shane Douglas versus Terry Funk versus Sabu in a three way dance for the ECW World Championship. This pay per view has great matches, three main events, special guest appearances. It has everything you could possibly want. And I remember getting to ECW full on at this time. You know, I told you about the tape trading, and I'd watched ECW before, but Hardcore Heaven 97 changed me as a fan. You've been with the company since 1994 at this point. Sure, you left for six months to go to the WWE, but you were right back quick. So how does it feel here to be headed into your second ECW pay-per-view?
3: Well, first of all, the first one, Barely Legal, was a huge deal for the company. In our business, more now, of course, but even back then, I used to use the phrase, the Nirvana of professional wrestling. If you've made it to pay-per-view, you've made it. So the fans understand, it's not just like, hey, you call a... The cable company say we're going to be doing a pay per view next Saturday, or a month from now, or six months from now, and and they just line everything up and get ready for you. You there's a ton of negotiation that goes on. You have to put two hundred and fifty thousand dollars bond. Up. You have for the satellite trucks and all the equipment and everything. And, you know, for ECW, as as hot as we were at that point, didn't have that that corporate backing like you know all most other major promotions have. You know, we literally. It was a big, big deal for ECW to come up with that money. You know, So the fact that we had done it the first time, and then we're coming right back with number two. The, the first one is big, but the second one, I think, is bigger in the sense that it shows – that there's a, an audience for it that the cable companies are or start to take notice because of this because it's facing a very would with them the shit through the cable companies would have been very very hesitant to give us the time to broadcast the second one uh they make their money off of that so uh, the fact that we were coming back for number two i thought was huge huge for the company huge for the fans huge for all of us in the dressing room and huge for Paul Heyman because the, that, that this was now, you could be sitting in, in, in West Virginia and call your cable company and get that. Even though we weren't on weekly television there, you could get that. And so... It now was opening up the product to the masses.
2: And man, it sure did, because that was like, it was like the takeoff point, really, for ECW, in my opinion. Before the pay-per-view was underway, the insane clown posse came into the ring to seemingly hype up the crowd and endorse Rob Van Dam, who also came to the ring. However, Van Dam proceeded to attack the posse along with his partner, Sabu, in an absolute brutal fashion. Uh, did you have any interaction with the clowns here? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. When the clowns would come, and they were, you know, first of all, they were both big wrestling fans, uh, really cool guys to hang around with, and and you know, that too was like another confirmation. You know, like and now we're also having these national recording artists uh internationally known recording artists coming to our pay-per-views you know wrestlemania sort of set the standard right with liberace and muhammad ali and all those at the first one you know so now here we had and and in our own way you know, let's face it liberace would have never fit in ecw
2: (laughs) but insane clown
3: posse perfect for ecw i mean that was you know like like hand in glove perfect
2: so I guess this is before Violent J became a really big asshole.
3: <laughs> Every time I see the guys, they're always really cool. So it, I've it, met I, Violent I, J and
2: Shaggy quite a few times, and Shaggy is one of the coolest guys you could ever talk to. Violent J, not so much. He always seems like he's miserable, miserable to be wherever he is. I,
3: I think he's 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 definitely the more quiet of the two. You know, Joey is, is 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 the is the one that you know does most of the talking and stuff. And yeah, so you know, Shaggy just sort of like does his own thing. But as hey, I said, the guys have always been cool around me. And every time I've gone to work for them, I'm always you know rolled out the red carpet and treated me professionally. So I I got nothing bad to say about either of the guys.
2: Was this the first time you ever heard of the Insane Clown Posse?
3: No, I had heard of you know. Cause remember, as a teacher, I, I'd hear the kids talk about them, you know, quite a bit, and. You know, whenever I, after we knew they were going to be at the at the pay-per-view, I went and did a lot more research on them. It, it was impressive, you know, for ECW at that point, especially, you know, our second out-of-the-gate pay-per-view. And now we have, you know, some pretty big, again, in our niche, in, the, in that niche that was ECW, you know, they, I can't imagine another group that would have fit more perfectly there. Than then insane clown posse.
2: Were there any reports of the clowns getting legit hurt out of this one? Because it looked super brutal. Like what was being done to them looked like looked like they were they were just sending them off. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I don't recall that that either got hurt. Again, they may have but at pay per views. Especially at any taping, I was always so entrenched in in preparing for my stuff that I didn't really pay attention to the goings on about me. You know, I would occasionally glance at the monitor to see, like, what each match was doing. And so I didn't go out and repeat it, that, that kind of stuff. But I really didn't, you know, I, I've heard people, you know, in the past saying, like, I was, you know, not stuck up, like, standoffish. Like, you know, I kept to myself. That was why. You know, when we did the pay-per-view in 97 here in uh, uh, Pittsburgh, you know, I was also promoting the show. Talk about mental destruction. By the end of the night, you know, have a main event in front of your hometown your family, your friends, and promoting the show, it was, you know, thank God for my co-promoter, Cody Michaels, because he took a lot of that weight off me about about an hour into the show. But, you know, so like, at, at, at uh, Hardcore Heaven, same thing. I was prepared, you know, remember, this is the second three-way dance the three of us are having. We can't just go out and repeat what we did the first one. We had to come up with new, new tricks to make this thing work, and so it wasn't just... uh you know, watching a, a replay. And, you know, so, you know, and, and anytime you work with uh, Sabu, you know, everybody knows the affinity and respect that I have for Sabu. But when you're in the ring with Terry Funk, it, it, it takes it to another level. You know, aside from the respect that you give a guy like Terry Funk and all he's done in the business, you know that he knows how to deliver the goods. So, you know, there's this sort of, you know, like creating the monster in the laboratory, a little bit of this, too much of that, you got to come up with that right formula, and and with Terry leading the way, you knew you knew you had a pretty good shot at, at doing it correctly. So, with with that night, as far as to answer your question, long windedly about Insane Clown Posse. If they had gotten hurt, I wouldn't have noticed it anyway unless there was, you know, an ambulance or something brought in and I don't
2: recall anything like that. Well, speaking of an ambulance, the Sandman, who was only a guest at Ringside, decided to make the save for ICP by getting in the ring. Before Sandman could actually make the save, though, Van Dam and Sabu assaulted him as well, causing him to be carried off into an ambulance by paramedics. This would be a continuing story throughout the evening with the Sandman commandeering the ambulance and making his way back to the arena for some revenge what do you remember about this storyline
3: well again it was such perfect sandman right and and so you know like that that you know you say storyline but sandman has become sort of renowned for doing that at the last gathering at the Insane Clown Posse this, this past fall, Sandman went through two uh, handlers, got them so fucked up that they, they were both passed out, and then commandeered a, uh, a couple golf carts and you know would drive them. You know, this was a huge, hundreds and hundreds of acres, big property. And he would take it to wherever he wanted to go and just leave it there. So this is, this is pretty much Jim Fullington, the hack, Sandman, right? That he, he does those kind of things. But from a booking standpoint, I thought it was brilliant on Paul's part. Because remember at this point, only being our second national pay-per-view, this is really still introducing ECW to newer fans that hadn't yet seen it. So you you know if you turn on you see a guy carrying a, a Singapore can smoking a cigarette and cracking a beer okay that's cool but what else is he and and now in this this like you said this ongoing storyline this re, re, revolving storyline that continues throughout the night you know you see all this stuff going on with Sandman and and I, I I thought it was a brilliant way on a pay per view since you're not going to have a, a, in a match to have him show who Sandman is.
2: You know, brilliant booking So joey styles comes out first to basically host the show and get the ecw fans ready for tonight's event i always thought this was different and cool way to start a pay-per-view to like introduce the basically the voice of the pay-per-view and have him talk directly to the fans what did you think of that
3: well you know i i, I think joey is one, i don't think i know joey styles is one of the all-time greats he's in the pantheon with the Jim Rosses and the Bob Coddles and the
2: Tony Schiavones, you
3: know, all those great names that we've you, we've seen throughout really, the years.
2: You put Tony Tony Schiavone in there.
3: Yeah, As one it. of the greats. Look, if you watch, if you watch Superstation, right, you knew who the voice of the NWA was. This again, the same as like with Sandman. Now, for those few fans that had traded for tapes that couldn't see the product, now you're getting to see who the guy is that the the, the behind that voice. And, you know, it really was like, hey, here's an introduction to ECW, and now you're going to get to see this guy really do his best work. So, you know, again, it, it, if you look at it as, as a snapshot in time, it's hard to put it put it into words, but when you take a step back and you look at it and you can say, okay, well, this is the second time out of the gate on pay-per-view, thousands and th- tens of thousands of fans getting their first real introduction to a live ECW show and also introducing them and giving them texture to the Sandman character and letting them see and get an understanding of who Joey Styles, the voice of ECW, was. Just really, really good, solid booking on Paul's
2: part. Yeah, I'm a huge Joey Styles fan. I wish he would have had more time in the WWE. Uh, Joey gets interrupted by Ravishing Rick Rude, and uh, Ravishing Rick Rude brings out Chris Candido for his scheduled match against Taz for the World Television Championship. This was the first of three main events here. Todd Gordon banned Rude from ringside due to Rude not being a licensed manager. Taz then came to defend the title against Candido. Candido attempted a blonde bombshell on Taz, but Taz countered with a Northern Lights Tazplex, which knocked both men out until they got up at an eight count. They exchanged moves until Taz hit a T Bone Tazplex. Candido countered by power-slamming Taz, but turned his back and began posing, allowing Taz to apply a Taz mission on Candido from behind to retain the title. Awesome opening match. What did you think about this?
3: But it was a great match. I mean, I'm the big mark for for both guys' work. Everybody knows my love and respect for Chris. But, you know, I would later get the opportunity to have Taz to work against. And, you know, he was always, always, always a super pro, was always concerned about getting the match over. You know, he could—he had his own little idiosyncrasies, like we all do, that turn some people off. But Pete and I were friends in the back, and that made working together all that much easier. So to watch these two go at it, you know, and and Candido—I think that match really underscores why I think so highly of Chris. Because if you watch that match back and you see how he showcases all of Taz's stuff, and I don't mean to give like give him all the credit—I'm sure Taz had a lot of input too. But when you see what Candido's doing, getting Taz over at every, you know, all of the spots that he's setting up, even the heat spots, he's building the stuff that's going to make this, the ending make perfect sense. When you watch, a, 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 I consider Chris be like one of the masters. And when you see him work and you see how this match gets laid out and Taz playing off of it, it really shows Chris's brilliance in the ring. It's why I came up with the, 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 the phrase, no gimmicks needed for him, because Chris would, would want to digress to what he called the ha-ha, the, the humor spots, the comedy spots. And I firmly believe, to this day, if Chris would have gone out and played that stone-cold heel, we would have all been bystanders watching him, because he was just... A brilliant, brilliant, brilliant in-ring performer.
2: I remember when I first seen him on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I said, you know, even as a, a small child, I was like, this guy is going to be awesome one day. And uh, I wish that it would have, I wish that it would have played out throughout his entire career. But then, you know, he got to the WWE and they they put him in that silly gimmick and all that. And I, I just really wish Chris would have done even more than he actually accomplished.
3: Yeah. Well, he again, you know, look, look, I'll try to explain this. I'm probably not going to do a good job of it. But when you're on the road, like especially in a company like WWF, WWE now, WCW, national promotions, and you're on the road 350, 345 days per year, it can get pretty monotonous. And a lot of those guys, I think, like the kids today do, is, well, hey, we're in Cleveland tonight, so let's work really hard on this match. And it works so well. When we go to Pittsburgh tomorrow, let's just basically do the same match and do that over and over and over again. Scott Hall liked to do that. And it drove me crazy because it makes it boring. You don't have to think. You just go out and just do the same shit over and over again. Chris was a lot like Bobby Eaton in that respect. Bobby Eaton never, ever had the same match two nights in a row. There might be a spot or two that we did in the, in the match last night. But Bobby Eaton, when you're watching Bobby Eaton perform like with Chris Candido, that stuff was being called off the top of his their heads at that moment. You know, so Chris, because of that, because of that monotony of being on the road, Chris would humor himself, make it fun. Like I said, you know, it was where he and I had our deepest disagreements. You know, especially when we were doing the triple threat and trying to get, you know, everybody lined up in the same Heel position, everybody getting the booze and the heat. And Chris Obladon had this stellar match that the fans, the ECW fans especially, would want to respect. They'd get up and give the golf clap and you know all that kind of thing. But then he would go into these damn comedy spots, and you know it was so so superfluous that he, he he would do it, and and it just didn't make sense in the way that I'm seeing the match that, you know, go for the heat. But he's going out there and the crowd's laughing and having fun. They're they're being entertained. Chris did that to entertain himself. That shows you that he was in that moment. He wasn't just out there calling it in. He was having fun, and he wanted to make it fun for himself, and that was the reason he did it. It used to drive me crazy. Well, Francine on sometimes, to tell you, it would drive me bonkers because, you know, the fans wanted to like him because he was so damn good. Uh, and when he turned on that heat, he knew how to do it inside and out. He was brilliant at it. But then right off the heat he would do a ha ha spot. And you know, it would just drive me absolutely nuts and crazy. But you know, looking back, it was Chris keeping himself entertained as well as entertaining the crowd.
2: Up next, we see Spike Dudley versus another triple threat member, Bam Bam Bigelow. Dudley managed to hit an acid drop early into the match, but Bigelow soon gained momentum and dominated Dudley. He tossed him from the ring into the crowd. Bigelow pulled Dudley back into the ring and uh, hit a pile driver and then a Bam Bam salt uh, for the win there. Getting tossed into the crowd is dangerous on so many levels. Whose idea oh, was that?
3: Probably Bam Bam's at that point, or maybe maybe spikes. I don't know who came up with the idea, but you're, I mean you're right. Today, it would, you'd be absolutely foolish to try it because undoubtedly some fan's going to say, "Hey, I got hurt," or you know something. You know, as litigious as the world has become, but you know, you talk about iconic moments. The first time he did that. <clears throat> With Spike Dudley and threw him into the crowd, you know, and we, and we watched it every week opening the show, you know, Bam Bam throwing Spike into the crowd. That became, you know, like one of those moments that's tattooed on your brain, you know, and so for him to do it now in, in, in Fort Lauderdale at the war memorial. One of the, Let me sidetrack for a second. Cause what, I think one of the things before I forget about mentioning it was the, the house that we had there. You know, we we did the first uh, barely legal in the ECW arena. We knew we could sell that out. But now you go to the War Memorial, a considerably larger building, and we, and we see that building packed out. And th- this is where, you know, like being on pay-per-view and now we're selling the building out and, you know, thick crowds and the numbers are on the rise. You can feel the momentum coming along with with the rise of the ECW on pay-per-view. Uh, so, you know, I give the Fort Lauderdale crowd at the War Memorial for hardcore heaven real applause because they were you know we often talk about the you know the 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 competition between the fans at house house of hardcore in in, in, uh, new york and the the hometown crowd in philadelphia the truth is every building we went to the fans were trying to top each other and they were always insane they were always into the matches and, and putting it over and Calling your ass out if you did something wrong, you fucked up chant. You know, that's where that started. To see from a company standpoint, now here we are in Fort Lauderdale, a much, much larger building, and packing it out. I don't know if it was an official sellout, but it was a damn, damn thick crowd. And they were equally into it. So now we're going to a new area, and we're getting a thick crowd, and we're getting the same kind of responses that we get in Philadelphia and New York and our our, our mainstay cities. You could really sense that the company was on the upswing. Back to Bam Bam and Spike, the thing that I give Spike credit for is, you know, aside from the size differential, you go back and you watch those matches, you never get the sense that there's this big monstrous beast from the East just eating this guy up. You know, there were parts of that building into the heat. Uh, But then out of no place, Spike would slip and dodge and do some really impressive move that would just pop the crowd. You know, that was one of those early times when I remember like a, a much smaller guy being in the room with a much larger guy and really getting the crowd's attention. You know, previous generation, in the 80s, you know, back in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, if you had that big guy in with a small guy, it would just usually eat him up. The fact that Bam Bam went out there and really worked hard to get Spike over and l- allowed Spike to showcase his stuff. I think showed, like, a, like things to come in the business. It was way before its time.
2: All right, Rob Van Dam is back out now after helping Sabu destroy two clowns and a Sandman. This time, he is uh, taking on a fresh-off-the-new-Rockers-run Al Snow. Still in the Leaf Cassidy gear, Bill Alfonso handed a chair to RVD, who hit a Van Daminator, to Snow to win. At this point, you guys didn't know what you had with Al Snow yet, right? No.
3: Not, I mean... We all knew Al could work, but, you know, Al, if you look at him in other other places, you know, was a little bit vanilla prior to ECW, you know, great in-ring uh, technician, but it always seemed to have like that Brad Armstrong syndrome, you know, it was unable to find something to latch onto, but in ECW, you know, you, you could tell that Al Snow came in with the same kiss and vinegar that we all had in our gut over the business. You know, he was a great worker, but never seemed to get that push or 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 a spot and he came into ecw determined to show the world that al snow had the goods and to do it in a way that wasn't vanilla and and i think he did that in spades when he came
2: to ecw so the new rockers was a failed attempt at bringing back the rockers so you could almost say the new rockers was al snow's dynamic dudes
3: yeah, it could be, yeah. You know that That's part of the piss and vinegar I'm talking about. You know, you you, put, you take somebody that knows they're good in the ring and knows they can deliver in the ring, and yet you keep uh, encumbering them with gimmicks and angles and spots that aren't really designed to get over. You say, I, I, how many times have I talked about nobody wants to be the second Ric Flair? Uh, nobody wants to be the second Hulk Hogan because that's already been done to perfection. So the same thing with the Rockers. They had had a pretty damn good run, Sean and Marty, before splitting up. And now you can see, you know, they're trying to rekindle something that it's not. It's it's like, as much as I love Kiss, and I think Tommy Thayer and, and Eric, uh, uh, the drummer, I was going to say Eric Carr, uh, Eric Singer, phenomenal musicians. But when you see them up there in Ace Freely and, and Peter Chris's makeup, it's just not quite the same, even though they're both... I wouldn't say Thayer is a better player than, a different type of player than Ace, but Singer is definitely a better drummer than Peter Chris was, but they ain't the originals. You know, Al Snow being put in that comes to ECW, and again, with that piss and vinegar in his gut, determined to show the world that he's more than just a second generation rocker or whatever other gimmicks that he'd had prior to that. He was going to be Al Snow. And whatever he made it at in the All
2: right, I'm going to use this time to take a quick break to remind you of our sponsor, the official attorney of franchise with Shane Douglas, the one and only best lawyer in the
0: world, Stephen P. New. Since 2001, drug companies dumped a billion opioid pills in West Virginia, causing over 3,000 overdose deaths and thousands of babies born addicted by no fault of their own. I'm attorney Stephen New. If you're the grandparent or guardian of a child born with neonatal abstinence syndrome, call me. I'll help you seek just compensation.
2: Call the law offices of Stephen P. New at 1-844-BAD-PILLS before time runs out.
1: Hello, Rich Quick here with another quick moment in Shane Douglas history. See, the date is August 17th, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, baby, and ECW presents Hardcore Heaven 97. Hmm. I do love a good rhyme, but I love this show even more. You had Taz and Chris Candido tear the friggin' house down for the ECW-TV title. You saw poor Spike Dudley get thrown into the audience. A historic bloody fight between Tommy Dreamer and Jerry the King Lawler. You had the Dudleys with Jenna Jameson. Oh, let me remind you, this was 1997, Jenna Jameson. Hmm? So yeah. Uh, oh, Oh, not to mention the main event which featured ECW champion Sabu in a three-way dance with Terry Funk and the franchise Shane Douglas. Hmm. Guess who won? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't the first two guys I mentioned. Yeah, that's right. The winner and new ECW heavyweight champion of the world, the franchise Shane Douglas. Now, who wouldn't love this show? I thought... Until I did some research. And all I can say is, uh, (laughs) dear internet, your negativity both confuses and disappoints me. See, there are people out there who did not like this pay-per-view. So let me just start by saying, um, I honor your opinion, and your opinion is just as valid as anyone else's, except in this case. In this case, you are an idiot, and you are wrong. You are a wrong idiot but but that's okay let me explain okay now i think if we were all a little more like hardcore heaven 97 the world would be a better place follow me on this now the main thing i noticed in re-watching this pay-per-view is the effort and passion every performer gave to this show see they knew that they were part of something very special and they had to deliver. Did they ever? Now, now I, I know, I know we're always supposed to give 110% blah, 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 yeah, yeah, but, but these sons of bitches actually did. So, approach life with that same motivation, the motivation to prove that your name belongs in the conversation, and go into every single day with the momentum That Spike Dudley went into that crowd. (laughs) Okay, so until next week, this has been Rich Quick with another quick moment in Shane Douglas history.
2: All right, the Dudleys hit the ring here with the whole Dudley clan, including Joel Gertner and Jenna Jameson. Did you have any interactions with uh, maybe the most popular porn star of all time? (laughs)
3: Of course. I mean, the ECW dressing room, you know, everybody that follows ECW knows this, was really the coolest dressing room to ever work in. Demanding, to be be sure. You know, a very intimidating dressing room to to walk into, but really a great bunch of people. You know, everybody was there supporting each other. There was no real competition to say, hey, I'm going to try to take that guy's spot or hold that person down. Uh, We were all pushing or pulling in the same direction uh, because we knew we had to. You know, we, we, one bad show could have been the end of ECW. There was, there was a sense of urgency every night, but a sense of camaraderie among the guys. So, you know, yeah, talking to all the Dudleys and, and, you know, with Joel Gertner and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, there was definitely, you could tell a pecking order in the dressing room, but there was no, at this point, there was no real factions breaking, you know, breaking down in the dressing room. There were friendships, you know, I hate to use the word, but little clicks like, you know, that, that you know, this, this group hangs out together and this group hangs out together. But there was never like a, a wall, you know, where you say, okay, well, there's the Dudleys or they don't talk to them. They won't talk back to you. Yeah, everybody got along pretty damn well in the ECW dressing room.
2: Well, what about Jenna, though? Did you talk to Jenna? Did you have any interaction with her? To who? With Jenna Jameson. Did you have any interaction oh, with Jenna Jameson?
3: No, hello, that kind of thing. Very little. Um, you know, she was she had a separate dressing room, I believe, like she typically did. She was quiet, as I recall. You know, it would say hello. She was not standoffish at all, but she would, you know, go and dress and do her things. And you could tell she was nervous. You know, she she was not yet seasoned to the business, and and you, you, know, you could tell there was definitely a nervousness about it about her.
2: Well, now I'm not going to ask you if you had any any intimate moments with jenna jameson but did you notice any of the boys trying to maybe set that up
3: uh, again i was you know so, so so focused on the stuff that i was i didn't pay attention to it but i'm sure look, i mean it's face Jenna is a pretty good looking woman sure there were more than a few guys that were you know trying to scope out their uh their wares so to speak if i could put it that way so yeah i'm, I'm sure it happened but I, I i'm not aware of who who what when or where
2: all right. So the gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa were stripped of the world tag team championship due to Mustafa leaving ECW. The Dudley boys, Bubba Ray and Devon were awarded the title belts and then had to defend the belts against PG 13, Jamie Dundee, aka JC Ice and Wolfie D in the following match. Now, Dudley boys delivered a 3D to Wolfie to retain the titles. Why were the Dudleys just handed the tag titles here?
3: Well, I, I think we, you know, we had to have that marquee match on the on the uh, on the card, so you had to have somebody as champion going in. And like you said, Mustafa had left, so you know, I, I, I've never spoken to Paul about that, but that was my reason, my thinking on the reasoning behind the way that that was booked. But Wolfie and, and Jamie, I want to take a second to talk about them because they came in. You know, like I said before, once that first generation of ECW names and faces got over. That was an intimidating place to to walk into. You know, coming from Memphis, you know, the, those two styles didn't necessarily mesh. Jamie and Wolfie did such a phenomenal job coming in there, not only getting themselves over, but really working their asses off to get the matches over. They were almost fearless. There was nothing they wouldn't take, nothing they wouldn't do, and and really, I think, captured the the respect of DCW fans, which again, at that second, third tiers coming in, that was not an easy thing to do.
2: No, not at all. And of course, Jamie Dundee is the son of Bill Dundee. Mm-hmm. And You knew Bill Dundee pretty well, or you you do know oh. Bill Dundee pretty well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I've known him for years. I, I was always like in, like intrigued by the second-generation guys that came from Memphis because, you know, I was never a big Memphis fan. I didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of it as a kid, but by the time I was watching it, it had become that sort of, uh, like, the Supremes, like a bad Supremes video, you know, like, you point to your head, I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to break you in half, and all that kind of stuff. But the stuff that I wasn't really a big fan of in, in wrestling. You know, so, you know, you have it vision in your head of, of uh, uh, the elder Dundee uh, and Bill Dundee and then you expect to see sort of the same thing and boy you talk about diametrical opposite
2: right? You
3: know, really really dissimilar styles but again Jamie's a smaller guy you know Wolfie would, would pack some weight on him and, and, and then lose it but they came in there and working with the Dudleys, you know, the Dudleys were an ensconced talent in the ECW. You know, they came in there and didn't backpedal any Jamie and Wolfie. They came in there and, you know, really stayed toe-to-toe with, with the Dudleys and, and garnered the respect of the fans and got the match over, you know, and, and helped, helped build the Dudleys as it was. They were on their way to becoming, you know, one of the most decorated tag teams of all time.
2: Now, next up is the second of three main events. Tommy Dreamer took on Jerry Lawler from the WWF. Rick Roode interfered in the match by hitting Dreamer with a trash can, and Lawler gained a near fall. Then Jake the Snake Roberts shows up, hits a short-arm clothesline to Dreamer, and then executes a DDT. Lawler extends a handshake to Roberts, but Roberts hits a short-arm clothesline to Lawler as well, who fell on top of Dreamer for another near fall. The action then continued until Tammy Lynn Sinch interfered to attack Dreamer, but Beulah McGillicuddy countered her interference. Lawler grabbed Beulah and tried to hit a pile driver. Dreamer tried to make the save by attempting a chair shot on Lawler, but Lawler used Beulah as a shield, who low-blowed Lawler, allowing Dreamer to apply a testicular claw and a DDT for the win. You think Jerry Lawler was the most hated man ever in ECW history?
3: Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Uh, you know, he, when he came, you know, again, Jerry's just so good at what he does.
2: When he came up with
3: the uh, ECW Extremely Crappy Wrestling, you know, boy, there wasn't a re- there wasn't an ECW fan on the planet that didn't get pissed off at that. You know, so to, to, for him to walk in there and re- so representative of the WWF style, right? The cartoony type character and, you know, the, the, the less than physical attributes of, of Jerry at this point. You know, coming in there, like, you know, getting older in his career, to come in there and say those types of things and then wrestle the the mascot of the ECW, Tommy Dreamer. Uh, It it was such brilliant layout of the match by both of them. You know, really great booking by Paul as well. And you can see this thread running through all of this. You know, Paul's, you know, we're so long after now that people, I think, sometimes forget in the mass circles to to talk about Paul's booking but everything as you're laying out here you can see the a thread running through this entire thing everything makes sense everything fits like a glove everything feels right to ECW it wasn't like okay everything feels right but there's a WWF guy coming now so let's let's go over here to Cartoon Land that match had everything that an ECW fan would want
2: it sure did. Lawler, to this day, trashes ECW anytime it comes up. Do you think his hatred for the extreme was a work or a shoot?
3: Uh, Party 50-50. Those older guys never really quite understood. They thought, like, somehow we were pulling it off a gimmick or whatever. I remember in 95 when I was in WWF, Jim Ross and Vincent Mann especially, every single time I was at a TV taping would asked me a thousand questions about ECW. They never quite were sure what it was. I think a lot of them, especially the old older guys, had a tendency to think, well, they just hit each other with chairs and stop signs and, and go home. Doesn't take a lot of talent to do that. But if you go back and you look at the booking for the, the, the true, at heart ECW fans, knows that ECW was far more than that. And you can see in later incarnations of the hardcore, quote-unquote, the hardcore style in WWF and later WCW, right, here comes a guy with a garbage can full of junk, and they're going to hit each other with it, with everything in the can. That was hardly what we did in ECW. The storylines that Paul would create and the wrestlers would flesh out in the ring were what carried the day, were what made ECW, why fans still today chant ECW. And I think guys like Jerry Lawler somehow... Got lost. that got lost in translation on them. They were reticent to give credit due where it was where it was deserved. Bruno San Martino, as much as everybody knows, I love Bruno and respected Bruno, was, was one of those guys. Just didn't get it. And as a result, just digressed to, well, it's just not as good as we were. Everything I talk about, especially in politics, everything must be seen through contemporary eyes. You can't, if you're coming with a 1960s or 70s attitude and looking at something in the 90s, it probably won't make sense. But if you look at it through those eyes, and that's why I think Jerry was smart. Uh, Coming in there, he knew his job was to be the heel, and Jerry was one of the best at getting heat, so he knew how to do that. So whether he loved it or somewhere in between ECW, you'd have to ask him directly, but all I know is he did deliver the goods when he came to ECW.
2: How was Jerry received in the ECW locker room?
3: Oh, fine. You know, he, uh, you know, Jerry's, you know, a consummate professional. So if his job is to come in and get heat in the ring, you know, he's, he was fine in the dressing room. But I think also, like, like, you saw with a lot of those guys that would come in to those guest appearances, there was a bit of a hesitation on, on them. I, you know, I don't want to say fear, but, like, you know, you could tell that they, they realized they were on ACW turf. A lot of times you could tell they were, like, if not, like, being openly respectful, trying to mind their P's and Q's, because they weren't quite sure. And that happened with far more than just Jerry Lawler. Uh, but, you know, there was, there was definitely that, that with Jerry. And he got along great with everything he him. Jerry is a consummate professional in that respect. And, and, you know, all those guys from that generation were all phenomenal politicians. So it would say always the right thing.
2: And in your third and final main event, Sabu defended the World Heavyweight Championship against Terry Funk and yourself in a three-way dance. And before we get into the match, I just want to talk about uh, a little bit of the differences there. You know, we always seen triple threat matches. There's always a triple threat match. And the triple threat match is basically set up so that you can get the title off of somebody without actually beating them. But in ECW, that was not the case. The three-way dance was was an elimination match. Both men had to be pinned. And I always wondered why the three-way dance was never picked up really by any any other company. There was never anyone that, that was like, okay, we're doing three-way dance instead of triple threat. And I know a lot of fans will be like, oh, a triple threat. No, this is a three-way dance. There's a difference. And I think that a lot of people didn't really talk about the difference. But that, that, that was a big difference there between the three-way dance and the triple threat.
3: Yeah, well, keep in mind, to my knowledge, it had never been done before in, in the States before uh, we did it in, in 94 at, at the early, early ECW shows. We had seen it, and the fans at that time from the seats were hearing a lot about it in places like Japan and Mexico. I had never seen one or been in one in that first one. So that, I think the reason a lot of people don't go to those is you have to have three talents that are really working together. If you're inexperienced not well versed, it can be a very difficult match to pull off. It, it requires all three working on the, in the same vein. Sabu and I would typically follow Terry's lead. You know, so Terry was pretty much the engineer of those. You know, you can't go wrong right, with Terry Funk uh, leading. But they are hard matches to pull off and I've seen a lot of them that were attempted, you know, at independent shows and things. And, and, you know, they they don't really come off the same way. It takes three talents all working in the same way. All
2: right. Earlier we talked about the Sandman. He was taken out by Sabu and Rob Van Dam earlier in the show, but he came back to the arena in a helicopter and interfered in the main event by shoving Sabu from the top rope. Sandman delivered a rolling rock to Sabu onto a ladder, allowing you and Funk to simultaneously pin him and eliminate him. Francine aided you in attacking Funk until Dory Funk Jr. shows up. He comes to the ring and he attacks you. And then he chases Francine to the backstage. The action continues between Funk and yourself until you hit the famous belly to belly suplex to win the title for a fourth time. Take us back to this match and put us in the moment. Well, having Dory
3: there, we knew it was going to be a big pop, right? I mean, he's, he's
2: lived in Florida for
3: most of his, at least the latter part of his career. I mean, you know, like a mainstay in Florida, Florida Championship Wrestling and and all of that. So all those fans were well-versed in the funks and, and, and you know, both Terry and Dory. So we had that built in. We knew we had the Sandman coming back. You know, so we had a lot of, you know, what Raven would call dog and pony bells, buzzers, and whistles to build into this thing. And it allowed us to lay it out in a way that made sense, but also was building to each individual pop. When Dory came out, I remember that crowd really coming to its feet, you know, Franny playing off it perfectly, you know, give, giving the flavor that now the franchise is screwed. He doesn't have his, his vixen at the ringside, the head cheerleader, and, you know, Terry Funk is, you know, going to carry the day. And, and we, from there, it's it's just basic semantics.
2: So Jake the Snake Roberts, Rick Rude, Dory Funk Jr., Jenna Jameson, the Insane Clown Posse, that is a lot of surprises for this show. What made Paul E. go so hard on the extras for this one?
3: Well, I think if you go back and look at the first uh, pay-per-view, right, barely legal, we didn't have a lot of that built in. This was like ECW, and you got that in spades. Now uh, we wanted this show, I think Paul wanted the show, as a promotion, that, hey, you know, big names like all those that you mentioned – Uh, were we're now coming, This made it, It gave it sort of a mini WrestleMania feel. When you turn on an ECW pay-per-view, yeah, you're going to get all the great wrestlers and hardcore stuff and great chain wrestling and flying wrestling, but you're also going to get to see uh, Jenna Jameson. You're also going to get to see uh, an Insane Clown Posse. You're also going to get to see a Dory Funk. You're also going to get to see a Rick Ruta, uh, uh, a Jake the Snake Robert, a Jerry the King Lawler. It really has that must-see feel
2: to it. It sure did. It really brought the excitement up in everything. I personally think this is the greatest ECW pay per view of all time. What's your opinion on
3: that? Well, it set a steam You know, people always ask
2: me like, "What's the greatest match?
3: What's the greatest angle?" You know, angle, the, you know and because there's so much history in my head because I've been around for so long, you know, I, I think what it did was, in one respect, I think I, I definitely would put it near the top. Is that it? It set ECW to a trajectory. You know, now, you know, when when we give you a pay-per-view, you better tune in because you you have no idea who's going to show up at this next one. Uh, Maybe nobody, but, you know, there's always that. Remember ECW initiated the lights out idea. And when those lights would go out, everyone in the building's stomach would clench up, like, who the hell's going to be in the ring when the lights come back on? Those little surprises like that, that really make a a live show, whether it's a pay-per-view or a house show, something that you really want to go to. But you're not quite sure. That prize element to all of that is what I think Hardcore Heaven laid down as being a trend in ECW. So that when we would do Lights Out, holy shit, who's going to be in the ring next? Is it going to be Arn Anderson? Is it going to be Ric Flair? Is it going to be Hulk Hogan? Because literally, it could have been anybody. You know, so that made all those little promos that we were all doing, you know, out on the streets of Philadelphia and around the ECW arena. You never were quite sure, is Ric Flair going to show up and try to kick the franchise's ass? <laughs> Uh, You know, whatever. Hardcore Heaven
2: set that as a standard in ECW. Now, despite my opinion on this pay-per-view, it got a lot of bad reviews, which is crazy to me. I'm going to read a few reviews (laughs) and get your response on them. Is that okay? Sure. All right, so David of Wrestling Recaps. He wrote, This was ECW's second pay-per-view, and it is unfortunately noted for having cheap production quality. There's bad lighting and the crowd sound doesn't get enough volume in the mix. But he considered Hardcore Heaven a solid show and appreciated the matches with Dreamer Lawler is way better than it sounds. The main event is entertaining. Taz Candido is as good as a 10-minute match gets. And the rest of it isn't the worst and recommended that ECW should have held the show at the ECW arena. What do you think about that?
3: Well, look, I mean, you know, some people like vanilla, some people like chocolate, some like pistachio. Some like none. What I always love about like the internet and, and any of these type of sites that get out their opinion, you could go out and put on a, a show of five-star matches, what any seasoned I would say were five-star matches. And there's, there's always going to be somebody out there that says, yeah, but. If we'd had it in, in the ECW arena, then... That would have made us, I, I think, like I said about, you know, setting the, 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 the trend of us being the, the surprise company. And that would have set us as the trend as being the company that can only do a pay-per-view in Philadelphia. You know, because, again, through those contemporary eyes, you were seeing the WWF and WCW literally traveling the world. So ECW, I think, was imperative that ECW be in multiple cities. And, you know, it would later turned out that Fort Vardis was one of our backbone companies. You know, it really was a strong, strong venue for us. And a market. As for the production quality of ECW, that you can always take that shot again. You know, with the money we had to lay out uh, for just the satellite uplink and the and the the truck, the the satellite truck, we weren't able to call a Time Warner or a uh, Titan Sports and say, "Hey, we need more money for lights and sound." But to be fair, one of the things that Paul worked hard for, largely because of budgetary reasons but also for the flavor and texture of ECW was for it to be that underground company not mainstream so there weren't laser beams and flash pots going off as we were walking out it was it was meant to feel like you were like tuning into something that was maybe illegal you know in some basement somewhere you know some warehouse or, or off a beaten path and so by design ECW was meant to look like that that's why we stayed to a two camera shot uh, i remember paul saying that he wanted uh, Charlie, our handheld guy, to have to fight to get the shot, like in to an episode of Cops. Now, how many times have you seen an episode of Cops, right, and the, they're chasing a car down some side, side streets there, and the car stops ahead of them, and you see the guy the perp jump out and run, and the camera jumps out of the back of the car, and they are running with the cops to chase down the perp, right? There's a sense of urgency to it. Paul wanted that same thing with ECW, and there were opportunities for us to go to pay-per-view before barely legal. One was, I don't want to say a name and get it. There was a, a pay-per-view company that wanted us, they wanted to do like an eight-camera shoot with the, the pyro and the laser beams and all the rest of it, and Paul turned it down because he knew it would not look like ECW. So a lot of that, you know, some people were at that time used to seeing the fancy schmancy WCW, WWF-style pay-per-views. Paul wanted ECW to look different.
2: All right, so Jack Stevenson of 411 Mania said that, uh, in short, it's an inoffensive time waster, but Hardcore Heaven is not worth spending money on.
3: (laughs) Same thing, right? I mean, my guess is that was probably a WWF or WCW fan that was saying that and comparing it to those slicker products, slicker showcase products, with lots of polish and lots of production value. Uh, but then the in-ring product, how many shows we've seen like that really lacks uh, ECW. Uh, I'll stand by ECW's pay-per-views and, and the matches that we put on in the ring. They weren't always five star, but the, the shows with, with the brilliance of Paul's booking and the near unanimous success of the matches, in those pay-per-views, uh, I think underscores what ECW is about, and I think another, uh, another lending reason as to why we still hear fans chanting ECW today.
2: You know, it's funny, as he said, it's not worth spending money on, but for me, it was worth driving four hours to Pittsburgh to trade WrestleMania 5 for and <laughs> that, that was I definitely put money into that and that and that was to get a VHS tape that wasn't even to watch it on pay-per-view so uh, I don't know what uh, Jack Stevenson of 411 Mania was even talking about there I got one more for right. you wrestling 20 years ago staff rated the event 3 out of 10 writing people in the building seem to like the show as did many ECW fans but this show does not stand up at all well the Sandman story was bizarre. The lighting was bush league and the in-ring action not at the standard ECW would want.
3: Well, I, I, again, you know, I think if, if you're looking at the pay-per-views of the day on the other two big companies, you were seeing a very polished product and ECW didn't see that. You know, wouldn't it have looked a little bit silly to have uh Sandman, you know, hijacking a, an ambulance and coming out of a helicopter having having the place lit up with floodlights and you know, back then, was before the advent of the uh, high-res cameras, you had to light any kind of scene up, like the surface of the sun, to be able to see it properly. And wouldn't that have looked corny and, and sort of contrived and set up? To any one of these criticisms, there, there's a valid reason behind it. And again, some say potato, some say potato. When I go back and I watch those pay-per-views, they stand up to me, and I,
2: I think they do to the
3: fans as well.
2: I would agree 100%. Well, that about wraps it up for Hardcore Heaven 97. What are your final thoughts on this event?
3: Well, I, again, it, was, it set us on a trajectory. You know, we'd had the first one, and as I remember the first, barely legal, you know, there were some hits and some misses. The nerves were running really, really high in the dressing room. Keep in mind, there were only a couple of us that had pay-per-view experience, and so you know, being thrown into a live and, and everything prior to that had been taped. So if something fucked up, they could call could easily sanitize it out. Now you know we're on live. You know, a lot of nerves came into play in, in the first one. Now we're here. We are at the second one, feeling more secure in the sense that everybody was had had that first experience of having that initial pay-per-view live television shoot under the belt we knew what to expect and so to do it and go out and deliver the goods have all those built-in surprises this uh, to me hardcore heaven really showed that ecw was going to be around that this was more than just a one and done thing and that there was a lot of history and a lot of life left in ecw uh, hardcore heaven really i think you know tattooed that on the on the wrestling world
2: hardcore heaven 97 is in the books episode 17 is a finish and it is now time for us to talk about the flying with the franchise contest for the final week this is the this is the home stretch we are almost there on january 15th we will be at aew bash at the beach with the franchise with rich quick with steven p new and we will be with you the franchise, Shane Douglas. And that's going to be exciting, and and we're, we're going to have two winners, one winner who will pick someone to go with them, and we've got the tasks ready right now. You ready to hear the tasks for this week?
3: Absolutely. I hope everybody's jotting them down because you've got to get those qualifiers in if you want to be uh, included in the contest. We're going to be taking it next week as you hear this uh, this episode.
2: That's right. The final qualifiers will be qualified by 10 o'clock on January 2nd. We will have all the qualifying done by January 2nd at 10 a.m. So you want to make sure that you get everything done before that time limit so that you can get yourself in there as many times as you can, which is 10 and uh, here we go. The first one, post your favorite Shane Douglas memory on the Franchise with Shane Douglas Facebook page. So go on there, write your, your best Shane Douglas memory of his entire career, what your favorite part of his career was. Write your your version of it and put it on the Facebook page for Franchise with Shane Douglas. Second one, everybody knows Shane Douglas is one of the greatest promo guys to ever grace a microphone. What I want you to do is cut a 60 second promo on a video about why you should be flying with the franchise and then send that to franchise with Shane Douglas at gmail.com. So cut your best promo about why you should be on that plane and send it to us at franchise with Shane at gmail.com. Now, the third one. Share the flying with the franchise poster to any wrestling group. Last week it was AEW Wrestling Group. This week it's any wrestling group on Facebook and send the screenshots to franchise with Shane Douglas at gmail.com. Now the next one here, make your cover photo on Facebook, one of the official franchise cover photos available on the Franchise with Shane Douglas Facebook. We are going to put up four or five different cover let, or cover photos and all you have to do is use that cover photo on your Facebook and send the screenshot once again to franchise with Shane Douglas at gmail.com. Now your final is to share the Stephen P new ad from the Franchise Facebook page on your Twitter or Instagram. So you're going to have to go get it from Facebook, take it off of Facebook Put it on your Twitter or on your Instagram and send the screenshots to franchise with Shane Douglas at gmail.com. So those are your tasks for the week for Flying with the Franchise. So How many
3: all together? How many different tasks have we given out over the uh, course of the contest? For this How many different 21. ways can they possibly
2: qualify? 21 ways. Nice. And there's still Thanks the today. entry form on ShaneDouglas.com. If you go to ShaneDouglas.com the quickest way to get qualified is to fill out that entry form and every single person that fills out that entry form is in the contest. There's no maybe there's no not if you do well enough or if you follow instructions. If you you fill out that entry form you're in so that's that one of the easiest ways so if you haven't done that do that right now
3: Well, i'm really eager to see some of the promos that come in i want to see some really good franchise style promos from the uh, franchisees out there
2: it's going to be an exciting thing that's a great way to qualify so get your smartphone out and video yourself cutting a promo 60 seconds is the limit so don't go over um and just let us know why you should be flying with the franchise now we've got to talk about next week's episode. Next week's episode, we are going to be announcing the winner of the contest, and that episode is going to be all about Taz. Are you ready to talk about Taz next week? Hell
3: yes, absolutely.
2: Now we also have some other episodes for you to get ready for. January 10th episode will be the third edition of Interrogate the Franchise. We need all of your questions sent in as soon as possible for that. So make sure you get your questions in. If you got a question for the franchise, send it in to our Facebook page, send it into Twitter, send it Into Instagram, send it into franchise with Shane Douglas at Gmail. However, you send it in, you can send it to my personal Facebook if you want. However, you want to send in your question, just make sure you send it in somewhere where I'm going to see it, and we will put it into the show and get the answers from the franchise for January 10th episode. Interrogate the franchise part three. January 17th episode is going to be all about our trip. AEW bash the beach. We're going to go over the show and we're going to go over what happened. Uh, for the flying with the franchise contest, and bring everybody in that didn't win, so they can find out what they missed out on.
3: Fantastic! I mean, again, like I said at the outset of this, this is a pretty damn cool contest. You know, uh, our our sponsor Stephen P New is you know really you know going all out to make this thing work and and really give the fans that win an exciting trip and and a and a fun experience. So. You know, if you haven't by now, please get your entry form in. And if you have, you have up until ten qualifiers, so you can. If you've already uh, signed up and you've already met some of the uh, the qualifying things and you got your uh, forms in and all of that, you still can do it nine more times. So get them in, get those chances up there, and let's make Florida a
2: damn fun trip. Well, I'll say this: there is absolutely no franchisees that are in the contest 10 times. So if you think you're in 10 times, you're not. You still have an opportunity. There are some that are in eight. There are some that are in seven. I don't think there's even anybody that's in there nine times. So there are plenty of opportunities for you to qualify. Go back, listen to uh, episode 14, listen to episode 15, listen to episode 16, and listen to this episode to find out all the different qualifying tasks that you can do To get your name in that contest 10 times so you have the maximum amount of chances to win this this amazing prize. From uh, you know the law offices of Stephen P New is a big sponsor and he's doing all this for us. It's going to be great. I can't wait to go and I can't wait to to spend time with you guys. I haven't seen Steve in a long time. I haven't seen Rich Quick in a long time. I haven't seen you in a long time and we are going to have an absolute blast. I'm going to drive up to Miami to meet you guys when you get off the plane. We're all going to go to dinner with the whole cast, the franchise and the two winners and then we were headed to AEW you bash the Beach to sit ringside for this awesome event and I'm I'm so excited
3: well, me, I have a lot of fun. Like I said for me up here in Pittsburgh right I mean even though today's an abnormally unseasonably warm day you know we just had some pretty cold shit last week and you know at this stage of my career and 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 life, uh, those cold days really start to ache. So I'm really looking forward to getting down to Florida and just, you know, being able to relax and unwind and, and really to go see a, a, a great show, hopefully. You know, if anybody's ever known me, and you know this about me, Brian, I don't sugarcoat shit. So if something fucks up in the ring, I'm going to damn well be pointing that out. But I'm really hoping and fingers crossed to get a great, great show that night.
2: Now, I've got one more piece of, uh, of information for the franchisees before we get out of here, and that is join the franchise stream. What we call the franchise stream is when you subscribe on Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Apple Podcast, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor. All you have to do is subscribe to, the, to Franchise with Shane Douglas, and you get the franchise stream. Now, the franchise stream doesn't just have Franchise with Shane Douglas. You also get all kinds of bonus content, and there's some special bonus content coming to the franchise stream in 2020, and that will be Quick Advice. With Rich Quick. Now, for the last 17 episodes here, we have listened to Rich Quick do one quick moment in Shane Douglas history every single week. And those tend to go into these inspirational moments every single week where Rich Quick uses Shane Douglas's career to tell you something about your own life. And now, with all the questions we're getting for Rich Quick, we're going to start an advice. It's like Dear Abby for wrestling fans. All you have to do is send in your question to Rich Quick, and Rich Quick is going to give you some quick advice right here on the franchise stream. And that is coming in 2020, so if you want to start sending questions now, you're more than welcome. He will pick one question every week to do one of these on, and it's going to be a lot of fun, so make sure that you are in tune with the franchise stream
3: oh yeah it's pretty damn cool right i mean you know it's uh, you're sitting there saying that about you know using using my career to give you some life's lesson i'm sure i'm sure there's probably something in there i'm sure there's probably some really uh caveats to life as well but I, i'd be that'd be something i would definitely be interested in
2: hearing well you should definitely go back and listen to some of the uh one quick moment in shane douglas histories that we play every single week since episode one they are quite, uh, quite interesting, and I've never heard Rich Quick be so motivational. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Just one more reason to tune in. That's right. One reason, one more reason to get hooked into the franchise stream so that you can listen to all the cool stuff that we release all the time. And you never know what that stuff's going to drop. It could just drop any moment. You'll get a notification if you're subscribed and that means you're locked in to the franchise stream. Well, it's been a great episode. I'm extremely happy to be here with you because this was my favorite pay-per-view ever for ECW. And I, I wanted to talk about it. This was, this episode was for me. I mean it's just just like when I brought you to, uh, to to the bar to sit down and watch this pay-per-view with me on my birthday it it, it was yeah. it's just something very exciting to be able to talk about something that meant so much to you when you were young with somebody who had so much to do with it
3: oh it All these memories for us, for me especially, it's like a trip down memory lane. Uh, Like I said a million times before, I'll keep saying it. PCW was a pleasure to work for. Uh, It was the the greatest time of my career. I look back at it and relive those moments as we do these shows
2: with a lot of fond memories. Well, this week we had fond memories about Hardcore Heaven 97. Next week we're going to talk about Taz. And that about wraps it up for this week. So, Shane, go ahead. Take us home. Hey, Merry,
3: Merry Christmas and a Happy, Prosperous New Year to everybody. Get your qualifiers in before January 2nd, 10 a.m. And don't forget to tune in next week to hear about the franchise's number one nemesis in ECW, the guy who beat me for the ECW World Heavyweight title. Hear all the stories here next week. Do it or get your ass. <laughs> franchised. I haven't got all night, I got better things to do, so let's get this done once and for all. Bring on the three-way dance! <laughs>
2: This has been a product of Superior Radio Network.
1: Hello! Rich Quick here with a very quick announcement. See, starting very soon, the Franchise Stream will have brand new, exclusive franchise bonus content. What? Yeah! See, every week here on the show, I try to give you a little wisdom, a little motivation... Sometimes a little kick in the ass, maybe. (laughs) See, so when the question came up, are you, Rich Quick, giving enough of yourself to the franchisees? Well, I said, yes, I am. And my agent said, no, you are not. So, (laughs) here it goes. The franchise stream is proud to present, at least they should be, Quick advice with Rich Quick. It's like a mix between Dear Abby and a homeless person yelling at you on the street. <laughs> Are you going through some hard times? Well, ask Rich Quick. Feeling lost or confused about something you saw on wrestling? Maybe. Uh, you know. Ask Rich Quick. <laughs> Having trouble with your wife or your girlfriend? Or both? Then ask Rich Quick, baby. Because you, you need some quick advice. Well, all you have to do is send an email to franchisedwithshanedouglas at gmail.com with the subject, quick advice. Or, better yet, just go to the Franchised with Shane Douglas Facebook page and ask your question there. So what are you waiting for? Come get the help you so desperately need, right? (laughs) Quick Advice with Rich Quick, coming to the Franchise Stream in
0: 2020. Some law firms talk about quickly settling your case without going to court. Other law firms focus on taking your case to trial. If you have a serious personal injury or wrongful death claim, you need a law firm that can do either. The Law Office of Steven New, experienced enough to make the insurance company settle your case and pay your money early, tough enough to take them to court and make them pay if they don't.